Scripts interfere with my process, Sean. Let's just shoot a hundred of these and see what we get. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to find a gift of that to send you in relationship to the podcast. That's funny. Hey everyone and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and I'm joined as I am every week by Dr. Scott Nelson. Hello, sir. What's up, man? How are you? You know, I'm uh, I'm on the mend. I've uh, I've had I've had just some sore throat nastiness for like ten days, which is a lot longer than I usually get the sore throat. But uh, doing if better. If only we knew a good doctor that could help with something like that. You know, there's just not that many of them. Lemon juice, honey, whiskey, hot uh, water. My go-to. Yeah, solid. Know? And and Cepacol because I can't have whiskey at work. Right, fair fair point. Good for you. Nor can I. Uh, so this week's episode, uh, this is going to be our second episode this week. Um, this is the second episode this week. Uh, hopefully you listened to our follow-up interview with Fred Durrell and Kimberly Fobbs that we released on Tuesday. Um, this Today is going to be a really brief segment with Scott and I, and then uh, a an interview with... Um, former state representative Leslie Osborne, who is running against Fred Durrell for the position of labor commissioner. We happened to get them both on the phone this week and thought it would be helpful to listeners to hear both candidates back-to-back for that particular office. It, She's still state representative Leslie Osborne, right? She is for two weeks, yes. Yeah, she has not resigned. No, she's not. So she's still there for two weeks, but... Nevertheless, the real meat and potatoes here is that she's running for labor commissioner. and That's true. And I thought it'd be helpful. It was helpful to, to me to, to talk to them both and get a chance to kind of compare and contrast them. So uh, first, though, Scott and I, um, we were recording this on Wednesday evening. We attended the debate for Congressional District 5. So this is a federal race for an Oklahoma seat between incumbent Steve Russell and uh, Democratic challenger Kendra Horn. I will... I will be um, fully disclosed that Kendra is a member of the Let's Fix This board, and so you and I both know her personally. I have met uh, Representative Russell on a number of occasions and had a chance to interview him on the radio uh, when I was on the radio a couple of years ago on uh, um, KOKC. And uh, have you met Representative Russell at all? I've I've not. Um, I have uh, exchanged uh, social media posts with his office. Oh, yes. Whoever does... uh, his social media on on occasion. Well, and I have a friend who used to be one of his um, lead staffers as yeah. well. So, um, so I mean, I, I, I'd say he's, he seems like a, a very nice man. I think, like, I don't, yeah, you know, like a nice guy. Well, uh, in the next uh, ten minutes, let's quickly discuss how the how the debate went. Uh, Scott, what were your takeaways? So, I think it was interesting. I think largely it went it went about how you would expect. Um, you know. Um, Kendra, Kendra is, she has pretty significant policy chops. Her background is in, you know, she's a lawyer. She's worked in nonprofits. She's worked in advocacy. She's worked doing, um, she's been, I think, a lobbyist for like the space industry. Lobbyist is not the nasty word, right? Remember, it's not a nasty word. Um, That's not derogatory. Um, So she's worked in and around Washington. And this is like, she's, she's, she's in this because she's, passionate about it and she's passionate about good policy um congressman russell i think also um and that came through i would say in the debate like i think that 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 her you know kind of her handle on the the nitty-gritty of government i think you could see that um i think congressman russell um 
he, in my opinion, he leaned, he leaned pretty heavy on his military background um, and the skills that he um, developed as a career soldier, which is which is fair. He's I mean, an he army was, ranger. He's an army ranger. I think he was in the army for I mean over twenty years. Was it twenty three years? Yeah, I think like he that. retired. Yeah, I was a lieutenant colonel. I was part of the unit that captured Saddam Hussein, um, and you know was had been in the army in either army ROTC or as an officer since he was eighteen. So certainly a huge part of his life, and I think carry. He carries a lot of lessons from that um, into government. Certainly some significant policy differences. I thought that it was um, noteworthy. A couple couple of things that I think were noteworthy. Um, So one um, was that, you know, one of the first questions was, what's the most important um, duty for a member of Congress? And I think their answers here, while I think both valid, were, were significantly different. So, um, Kendra said that she, you know, felt like the, the the most important duty of a member of Congress is to serve every one of your constituents, right? Like whether they voted for you or not, if they live in your district, like your job is to work for that person and represent them, regardless of race, party, or ethnicity, and you need to be making decisions that are in the best interest of the district, even if it goes against the party. Um, Congressman Russell said that that the most important duty of a member of Congress is to support and defend the Constitution. Um, like that's that's the oath that you take. And then he spent some time talking about um, the Bill of Rights as, um, you know, I think what what he would consider one of the more important parts of the Constitution and that he feels like the most important thing you do as a congressperson um, is is defending those and preventing preventing government from infringing upon those rights. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first kind of the first difference. Um, The next the the next, I think, difference, and this was maybe the most stark um, one of the more stark contrasts of the evening was the fourth question of the of the first round that was talking about what's the most important economic issue that's facing Congress right now. Um, Kendra was talking about income inequality, um, adequate revenue, adequate revenue funding the federal government, and then an equitable distribution of that revenue. Um, Congressman Russell kind of picked up on that um, to talk about, you know, um, income, you know, equitable distribution sounds a lot like redistribution which sounds a lot like getting rid of the free market like just kind of making it compared to socialism yeah Yeah. um um and then talked about how he voted for the tax bill the crowd booed well it was certainly so this debate was held at city prez where we have helped um hold some other debates let's fix this was not a uh, a partner in this debate um for any you know perception of conflict of interest not that (laughs) <laughs> he was making money yeah. off this, but um, but it was put on by Nondoc, um, and um, who has been a great partner in previous debates. And I, I would guess by its proximity to downtown and the districts surrounding that that are largely Democratic leaning, um, there was a decent uh, Republican um, showing in attendance. But overall, I think it was definitely sympathetic to Kendra. Yeah, which and uh, the audience was not representative of the electorate. Like as a whole, as a whole, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I would agree. <laughs> I was this uh, question: What's the most important economic issue facing the Congress? This was the only time Nancy Pelosi's name came up um, during the debate, which I I thought it was interesting that she made an appearance. Since uh, I mean, you know, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like people who have brought up Mary Fallon's name in the gubernatorial race when she's clearly not running. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. I mean, I get comparisons and. You know, Republicans will bring up Pelosi's name the same way Democrats will bring up Mitch McConnell yeah. or whatever happened to Paul Ryan. Is he still? I've not heard his name in a while, dude. That's 
we could have a whole we could have a whole set of this podcasts. is why we don't do federal politics right um but that was that was a i think that was a pretty pointed exchange i think they went back and forth on economics if you on kind of the most important economic responsibility um for for quite a while that was an interesting exchange it should be said that you should be able this was streamed on news nine and i it's think that you'll facebook. be able to yep. you'll be able to go on facebook and watch the whole debate and i would strongly encourage you to do that yeah it's only about an hour long and uh, the round two focused on um, some about uh, healthcare was probably the biggest um, the biggest issue in round two talking about um, Medicare for all or some form of kind of guaranteed healthcare versus Congressman Russell who's not been a supporter of the ACA um, you know Kendra are really arguing for improvement in access through regulating insurance companies and drug companies and kind of holding insurance insurers feet to the fire in terms of what they have to pay for and what they have to cover and what they can charge as opposed to Congressman Russell, who really feels like um, this was interesting. He was, I, I wasn't real clear on what he was trying to say because he was talking about choice and then like you should be able to choose and the government shouldn't be choosing for you. But then he used variety care uh, in his hometown of Dell City, as an example, which is uh, Variety Care is a fantastic organization. They take great care of people. They also are like, I don't, I don't want to quote a percentage to be wrong, but a huge percent of their funding comes from the federal government. Yes, like, and it's not enough to provide for all the care they provide to people who right. don't have insurance. Right. Um, so it was interesting to me that that was the that, that was the the example that he chose to well, focus on was the next question about social security yeah yeah so i mean this whole i think both these questions was kind of a meandering answer somewhat for both candidates but particularly for congressman russell um the answer about social security and i think basically they were trying to get them to say like would you privatize it or not and both of them said no he kind of said one thing and said you know no one's talking about that but then later said well some people are talking about that and then apparently there's a letter about it that Kendra's campaign like immediately shared on Twitter of course where he's been on at least in one letter in support of it I don't right. know the circumstances of that I haven't looked into it I my highlight of that was that he said you know the the way we could fix social security is for people to go out and basically um, work start your own business and then pay like FICA taxes into social security but the examples he gave was selling hot dogs beef jerky or create some app and I thought right these are very different skill sets, and also not everyone can go out and sell hot dogs, beef jerky, or create an app. Yeah, and you know, I think that I think uh, one important point that I that Kendra made here that I that I feel like deserves mention is that there's a lot of talk about entitlement programs. That one, Social Security is not an entitlement program. Like people, if you have a job, you pay into Social Security. Number one, mm-hmm. and number two, the this drives me. You use the phrase bonkers a lot. This drives me, or you say bananas. Bananas is your other Both. There's always money in the banana stand, which would be um, a more applicable phrase for that. <laughs> this drives me up the friggin' wall in whatever way you want to put it. The Social Security Trust Fund is not in danger of being insolvent. The only reason that there's not enough money in it from time to time is because Congress raids it to pay for other shit that they don't want to raise taxes to pay for. Right. Right. So because they don't have the because they don't have the stones to pay to raise the taxes, to pay for stuff they want to do, they take money from the Social Security Trust Fund and they say, oh, well, we have to privatize it because there's not enough money there. Well, if you leave the trust fund alone, there would be more money there. I mean, it's it's the same problem that most Americans have, right? Like you have a big pile of money sitting in a retirement account, but you want it or need it for something else. You need it to fix your house. You need it to take a vacation. And people raid the retirement plans 
you know, they borrow against it or whatever. And then what happens is you don't have enough money to retire, which is why people consider it insolvent sometimes because there's not enough money because they use it for other things. I'll tell you, the only uh, big pile of money that I have sitting around is my uh, student loan balance, (laughs) which I guess is the big pile of money that's sitting at the bank. Fair point. All right, well, we've got about three minutes left in this segment, so let's talk about just um, style and crowd involvement. I would say um, I got there a little bit late, and then I I was up in the sound booth um, for this debate, as I have been the previous ones, Uh, and so I had a bird's eye view. You were on the opposite side on the floor, and my perception was um, that Kendra had a bit of a slow start, um, but kind of found her groove about halfway through. Uh, Russell sounds like a young Gregory Peck to me. <laughs> it's just his manner of speaking and his voice. And that was a little distracting to me. Um, but he has really done this probably more often. Yeah. And he was, I'm sure he was expecting it to be a somewhat unfriendly crowd um, for many of his policies. And, and Kendra likewise was probably expecting it to be a somewhat friendly crowd. And um, towards the end, they got a little bit, not quite rowdy, but fiery. Uh, I think a little bit rowdy. I mean, there's some some booze. You know, Congressman like, Congressman uh, Russell. There was a question. I forget which one it even was. That he was kind of he was doing a, a fairly artful job actually of not answering the question. And there was lots of mm-hmm. you know yelling and what I'm saying. <laughs> and look, the question. And just just heads up, if you're one of our listeners, and you know if you're if you're one of our listeners, that's you're you're all near and dear to my heart. Don't don't leave us. But if you're one of those people at the debate that's yelling answer the question or shouting or hollering or doing all that crap at the debate, you're not helping. Okay. Well, like, like just, that's not like not the place. Okay. Well, you're not going to get, I just think about what your end goal is. And if right. your end goal is to prove that he is dodging the question. Sure. But we all heard that if your end goal is to get an answer, you might get it. But if your end goal is to make, um, the other candidate look better, that's, yeah. Not. Well, just, and just I don't I don't I don't I don't really care what your end goal is, right? That's not like <laughs> it's not I don't I don't care why you're doing it. I'm a therapist. I care about motivation. Well, and that's and that's fine, but there's to me there's no scenario in which that's helpful. I did get several texts from um family and friends who cannot be there that watched it online and they said, "You know how I feel about people that interrupt." Like, that's just not for me. Yeah, and I like, was like, "Okay, fair enough." I mean, everyone to each their own. Right, like you can be upset with his answers, but you know you don't. You don't. Both, both the candidates spoke about tone and civility, right? Um, and civility is like a weird dog whistle issue right now. I don't want to get into well, that in this it, episode. But. It just, you know, it just it speaks to the like. I disagree with Congressman Russell on any number of things. He's not the enemy, right? Like, he's an American. I'm an American. He's in Congress. He, I think, is legitimately doing what he feels like is best, right? Like, he is trying to be the best leader and representative for us that he can. And if we don't feel like he's doing a good job, then it's our job to vote him out. It's not our job to show up at a debate or a town hall and yell and scream. Like, mm-hmm. like no. Like, that's not... Like, this, is, this isn't a football game, right? This isn't a, like... Come on. Right. Bedlam's in, in three weeks. Right. Like we're, then. we're, we're grownups, like act like grownups and screaming, screaming at your congressman from the audience to answer the question or like, right. If you remember what you remember watching the state of the union uh, in 2010, I think it was um, president Obama said something and a uh, congressman, I think it was Joe Walsh 
Um, it's a congressman from Georgia, Florida, Alabama, one of those three, um, screamed out, you lie mm-hmm. to the president mm-hmm. in the middle of the State of the Union address. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's ironic. Right. In hindsight. <laughs> right. Like, like, that's, and everybody looked like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the same. Like, it's on a different level, but like screaming at your congressman in the, in the middle of a debate, like, it just... It, and just because someone does it doesn't make it right for everybody else. Right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't help. So if you're one of those people, if you're angry, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote, quote the president. Don't boo vote. There you go. That right? was the first lady. It was Michelle Obama that said that. Yeah, but he said it first. He did? Yeah. I could Oh, she said if, when you, when they go low, we go high. Yeah. He said it at uh, the yeah, 2012, right. 2012 convention. My apologies to the Obamas. I mis- misappropriated that. You think we could get him on the show? holy Moses <laughs> if we could get any former president I will take Nixon's ghost and we <laughs> boost us do you know who we might could get Jimmy Carter he's too busy building houses for people who don't have them Got he's it. like single-handedly right. propelling hepatitis for humanity yes alright right, so we need to wrap this up um, Scott what, final question about the debate what is the one issue you feel like their answers were the most different uh, the economy, economy, economy. Yeah, the economy. I think the most important economic issue. I think that, um, you know, Kendra is focused on economic inequality and what government can and should do to address that. Mm-hmm. I think Congressman Russell sees that as a byproduct of the free market, and if you want to address it, you should let the market address it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the starkest difference between the two of them that that came through in tonight. Anyway, I will agree. I still like the beef jerky and hot dogs. <laughs> that was still <laughs> just a funny takeaway for me. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our interview with Leslie Osborne. Thanks for making time to chat today. You bet. I'm happy to. I know you have a busy schedule, um, and today we are less than two weeks out from the election. How's things going? Yeah, things are going good. I'm just trying to hit every place that I can that has a candidate forum or a, or a, a group meeting together and talk to them about what a labor commissioner does. Right. So the other day uh, we spoke with um, your opponent, Fred Durrell, who's the Democratic candidate for labor commissioner. And I kind of asked him this question, and I wanted to hear from you. In when you're running for statewide office, you don't have the option to really like knock doors the same way that someone you know running for for house uh, did, like when you were uh, in the state house. So, how do you reach candidates? Well, it's been really interesting because you know that I've been in the house for five terms and elected not to run for my last two year term. But, uh, but that being said, I knocked doors and went to every event in my communities, which were Tuttle and Mustang. So this is different. You get onto any websites from the Chamber of Commerces to, to Republican clubs to, uh, you know, Lions, Kiwanis, any kind of civic groups. And uh, some of them don't want to hear a political message, but you can explain what the Department of Labor does. And then talk about the state in general, because of having been and still being a current state legislator for two more weeks, I could talk about that. 
But then there have been a lot of really great forums and everything from non-doc, you know, had done the debate with the Republican candidates, civil with the Democrats. So there really has been a lot of opportunities. For instance, tomorrow I start mid-morning in Bartlesville. I have to be back in the city for one tomorrow afternoon and in Ponca City tomorrow night. So I definitely put the miles on the car. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Well, how many miles have you put on? This, this election? Well, I really, really wish I'd checked. I got a new <laughs> set of tires about a month ago, and I wish I had thought a year ago, but uh, I have no idea, but I have really packed them on this year. I think over 40,000. Wow. That's a lot of miles. Right, uh, because a lot of days I'll, you know, one day I'll drive to, to uh, you know, the Panhandle, and the next day it's in southeast Oklahoma. So anywhere you can get in front of a group of people to visit with, that's what I've been doing. Sure. Do do you travel by yourself? Do you have like um, campaign staffers that are with you that are helping out? No, on these kind of races, you do if you're governor, maybe lieutenant governor, but these are bare bones kind of races. So all the money that you raise, you're putting into things like push cards and TV ads and things like that. So, no, I have no paid staffers. Uh, so I've done most of all the road miles by myself. And I've had... When I have a parade or something, I've got a really nice group of friends that will alternate, that all have their Osborne for Labor Commission t-shirts <laughs> and will go with me sometimes. But the vast majority of the time, I just go by myself. Sure. So while you're out there, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and doing parades and forums and stuff, I know you have an opportunity to visit with voters kind of on an individual basis, I would assume. What are you hearing from them? What are the issues that they care about most in this election? Well, you know, if you talk generic issues, it's definitely still education. And for being a sitting legislator, I still hear a lot of that. And I'll be totally honest, a lot of what I've been doing is education about what the Department of Labor even does. Mm -hmm. Because most people don't know, and I probably didn't know before I was in the legislature, because you assume that's going to be a lot of union versus non-union issues. But Oklahoma passed right to work on the state ballot, put it into the Constitution before I was ever in service. And because of that, we have a very small wage and hour division that will help people with disputes that they're not being paid like their contracts. But there's very little. Most of what they do are safety programs to keep the workforce across the state safe. And they do a lot of licensure. They're working on licensure reform and workforce development. So it's really different than most people expect. And that's been interesting to get that message out. But still, the number one thing I hear is that we let education go too far, too long, and it was almost too late before we did something. People are still very unhappy about that. That drove out a lot of people to the primaries and the runoffs. Uh, You know, we had a lot of members of the House that voted against revenue bills for teacher pay raises that were sent home Mm -hmm. in the primaries. And, you know, will that hold over until the general? I think it will because people are still talking education. And thank goodness they are. I think it's one of our most important functions of government. Over 50 percent of the budget, a little over 50 percent goes to the three entities, common ed, higher ed and career tech. And there's a good reason for that, where, number one, somebody has to educate our children. Number two, we want to do a good job of it so that they're trained for the workforce. And number three, we want to make sure that we have jobs there for them when they enter the workforce. So, I mean, that's what we should be focusing on. Sure. So, I, you know, I've heard a lot of talk just in the last couple of weeks. I don't even remember where exactly, but um, forums or reading articles, probably some podcasts about, uh, like, the 
the amount of skilled labor and and the gap that there exists between there's not enough people to go out and fill some of these jobs. Does the Department of Labor have a role with that? And if so, what is it? They didn't used to, but they do now, and I'm really excited about it. So about a year ago, by executive order, the governor tasked the Department of Labor with workforce development. Before, that has been in multiple places. Uh, It's been from the Department of Commerce to higher ed. I think Department of Labor is the perfect fit because they are boots on the ground, out talking to small, mid-sized, and large business and industry across the state, really on a daily basis about licenses, about occupational licenses, about safety programs. But while you're there, you're interacting, and most of these groups are saying we're not getting the skilled labor force that we need. And the disconnect is between having siloed agencies, is my belief. So we have a fantastic career tech system. Right. We have a fantastic, you know, all these different things, but it's not necessarily working with the Department of Labor. So what I'm proposing is for Common Education, Joy Hoffmeister, uh, Career Tech, Marcy Mack, and Department of Labor, hopefully myself in a few weeks, to collaborate to move the three agencies into an initiative together where, say, for aerospace, for example, we've created these fabulous jobs but they're having to hire their workforce from out of state. That's so we will work together to send junior high counselors uh, to education to show them that if they can target the kids that are good in STEM and STEAM classes, that we can actually show those children and their parents a trajectory of where they can go to career tech or to OU or OSU engineering and the types of jobs that are available right here in the state, lucrative jobs with a great future, that way, we're keeping our kids here, and we're filling the workforce need for the businesses that are here. It's a win-win. Say you started it with something like aerospace and then branch out to all the other areas, manufacturing, all types of places where they're not getting the skilled workforce they need. Let's work on that. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. I, You know, I, I think my perception is that some of the disconnect is almost like a stigma that we society has created over the last several decades uh, that, you know, uh, that the college degree is the gold standard that everyone must have. And I, when I was in school and in high school and college, everyone said, well, you know, the, the college degree is the new high school diploma and that everyone has to have right. that. And by the time I got a master's degree, everyone said a master's is the new high school diploma. Uh, and what I, have learned is that there's a bunch of folks with degrees that have a mountain of student loan debt and a whole bunch of people uh, that could be plumbers, welders, you know, whatever the skilled trade is, they would make the same amount of money (laughs) or more without having that student loan debt. And so we as a society are in this pickle between needing, needing those jobs filled and, and, and people feeling like they're lesser jobs somehow. Absolutely. And, you know, that also includes a lot of the apprenticeships that we have in the state that work through career tech or don't. We have fabulous apprenticeships in electrical, in plumbing, and heating and air. We've got to do things on all those type trades, and we have to make sure we're not being higher ed snobbed. Yes, there is absolutely a place for higher education, but there is also a fantastic career tech system here. When we rebranded it from Votech to career tech years ago, I do think that we started people realizing that it had changed. And that skilled workforce 
a large portion of it is going through apprenticeship programs and career tech, and we have to push that as well. But you're right, it's a mindset change. But I do think Oklahoma is becoming aware of and starting to morph and realize that. Well, you would hope so. I mean, even things like uh, like nursing. You know, I work in healthcare now, but before I did, I didn't really understand the difference between a, a, a medical assistant, an LPN, an RN, and and kind of all those things. Um, and now that I do, I'm like, oh man, well, there's a huge need for folks that doesn't require a four year degree. Um, and absolutely, and, and you know, a lot of kids can't afford that. Yeah. College debt is overwhelming. Now, I will admit, both of my children graduated from Oklahoma State. We, you know, I pushed for them to do higher ed. That's what I had done. But that is not the course for everybody. And a lot of people will graduate with an overwhelming amount of debt Mm -hmm. and not have a job field that they are trained for that has openings. And that's where we've got to do it. But we've got to do a better job of actually fitting kids to the careers that are here and the and the place to train them for those careers. And I'm, I think that's our biggest opportunity going into this job that I'm excited about. Yeah. I mean, the, the flip side of that is I know a lot of people who went to college for a year or two or three didn't graduate, and so they have all the debt and none of the degree to show for it. Uh, and so exactly. That's even worse. Yeah. yeah. And so trying to help people be like, listen, if you're in this for the long haul, that's fine. Just make sure you go – until you finish and get the degree. So at least you have that. Otherwise you're kind of up a Creek. Um, Absolutely. So uh, uh, this week in the news, we saw that the uh, OPEA, the Oklahomans uh, public employees association, which is the, the trade group for state employees uh, that they had a press conference because they want to kind of bring the conversation back to a pay raise for state employees. They, were kind of tied in with the teacher walkout earlier this year, uh, but they were definitely like not the not the focus. Um, and so I see them getting ahead of the conversation this year and trying to step out there and say, "Hey, before you're even elected, let's start talking about this." Certainly, that has a, a connection with with the labor department, and I'd like to get your take on that. So I'm not sure if you're aware that I think it was my fourth year in the legislature. I ran a bill that was actually a pay raise for state employees. We have a huge turnover rate compared to other states, and that lends to a lot of retraining inefficiencies in our core services being administered. And the reason is, is because we pay very low wages. Mm -hmm. The bill that I ran did a remuneration study, which meant that not only did we look at our uh, contiguous states and what they were paying people, for the same job in the public sector, but we also looked at what those same professions would be making in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And what we came up with is that most of them were being paid around 60%. Hmm. Now, that, that makes it very difficult when they come in. A lot of times it's because they can get that on their resume. They worked for the state for a few years, and then they immediately flock to the private sector. So the time you get a state employee trained, a lot of times they're leaving. That's not working. What we had found is if we could bump them to 80 to 85 percent of, sta- of, uh, of private sector pay, it showed that in the very first year, 
it would pay for itself. And people say, well, how would you do that? Because you're going to have to expend quite a few more dollars up front. Mm -hmm. But it shows that statistically, you would keep the employees less retraining, less inefficiencies, less people falling through the cracks on their core services. Now, what we did was a three-year plan. We got the first year done. We hit the lowest hanging fruit, which was some things like correctional officer pay. Mm -hmm. And then we hit our next oil bust, and it went away. Yeah, right. Got to start that journey back. And, you know, a lot of times people have this mindset of state employees, oh, that's just mindless drones out doing. You know, there's kind of a persona. No, these are highly skilled people in many cases. We may have high-skilled accountants at the tax commission, and we may have doctors and nurses in the corrections department and we may you know it's it's all over the state it's the people that are the engineers building our roads and bridges if we want to have good core services we have to compensate the people that are administering them and that's really just common sense and i would be advocating for that for my department of labor employees as well you get what you pay for that's yeah and that's exactly I think right it's, i am 100 percent behind opea and in looking into an actual, uh, probably a deceptive way to get into paying our employees better. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious to see, you know, after the success of the teacher walkout last year, um, I think public employees might feel emboldened this year to be a little more forthcoming in their action for this. And, you know, if their pay keeps, keeps, uh, well, staying flat, I guess, decreasing over time, then they've got less incentive to not <laughs> take action. Um, right. Because they really want But, wanna... you know, I think it's one of those things that if we can see discernible results, and I expect that we will see more people going into education now where we're having so many non-certified teachers in the classroom, that's going to take several years of, of uh, numbers going back up at all of our state colleges of higher education, people going into education, because for years that number had been going down dramatically because young people didn't feel like they would be valued mm -hmm. if they were educators. That will take several years to rebuild that workforce with what we've done. I think the same thing is, is that OPEA will need to get that information back out that we had found years ago, updated, that these actual things pay for themselves. That it really it will show an initial infusion of dollars into state employees, but within the first year, if it pays for itself with less cost of retraining, it's a win-win because then you're keeping more highly skilled workers where we need them after they're trained. And I think it's going to be that education of it, just like the teachers really got out during the walkout and they educated the citizenry about where we were compared to other states, and, uh, and it worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think you use the word value there, and I think that is a key word. I think teachers have a, a kind of immediately recognizable or intrinsic value that most people understand right away because people know what teachers do, and it's probably right. a, a heavier lift for state employees. For it them. is, I mean, and it's that persona of who is the public, who is that public sector employee, mm -hmm. and people don't think about it being the people I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people are people that we want the best and brightest designing our roadways. We want to make sure that we have highly qualified people working at the State Department of Education and, and in different places. We really need good quality employees and it, you get what you pay for. You know, it strikes me that a lot of commercials you see for, you know, energy companies or whatever, they'll, they kind of just show employees and it's like, you know, I am whoever the company is and kind of uh, doing it that way. And I think 
that even something simple like that would be a good way for OPEA or for the state to kind of help people remember like that state employees are just regular folks that do work that is really right. vital to the state and and everyone talks about core services and I think we've cut about everything that's not core <laughs> and so we're down to just like this really is the core it's all that's left and uh and right. we, we need these people and we need the very best and if Oklahoma is going to move and not be last in all of these measures we've we've got to put our money where our mouth is exactly i agree completely um so uh as you've been driving around a question i asked your opponent as well that has probably no bearing on the election but you've traveled the whole state you've driven you know 40,000 miles what's the best food that you found out there <laughs> The best food? Mm-hmm. Surely you've eaten at like some. The best, the, okay, like the best restaurant that I went to, I wasn't expecting. That's exactly right. Hey, I'm going to throw one out there. You're not going to see coming. Okay. <laughs> big, big, big Dan's in Woodward, Oklahoma. Big Dan's. Is... Big Dan's. Have you ever heard of this? Yes, because um, I used to go to Woodward for work for a regular basis. But I, my first thought is Indian tacos because I'm thinking of Dan's Indian tacos at the state fair. <laughs> What kind of food does this Big Dan's have? Good old home cooking. It's everything from chicken fried steak to fried chicken, and it's and I'm a sucker for a salad bar. It's still got a salad bar. I oh, still nice. miss the one at a at a steak and ale. Yeah. And so anyway, but it's it's just good. It's always packed with, and it's always packed with locals. I've been out in that area several times. I usually seem to be by Woodward for lunch, and I've stopped in, and I've even gotten to know the owners, who are a great small business story. Uh, uh, Carol Parsons and her husband Dan Parsons just from going in there several times. But when you see a, a small business in a small town that always has the locals there, you know that's the good food. That's exactly right. I used to, in fact, um, my wife, whom you've met, she used to go to Woodward for work uh, when we worked together. And so she was always trying to find like the best Mexican, Mexican restaurant in Woodward um, and found a couple of decent ones. I forget. It's been years, so I forget what they were. But it's a it's a cool town. It's a place kind of all by itself out there that's – it's it on, is, but it's it pulls on the in way. All the little tins, yeah, all those little towns around there come there for the commerce. Mm-hmm. So they have quite a bit more than they would necessarily for their population because they service so many of the smaller communities around there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because they're a halfway. Great part of the state. It is. They're halfway between like Guymon and Enid and I forty, right. and so there's a lot of kind of a crossroads there. Um, yes, exactly. So well, now, next time I talk to you, I'm going to have to be ready for the second restaurant. I'll be thinking. <laughs> Um, so, um, as I kind of said this earlier, but as someone who has run for, uh, elected office before, but in a much smaller geographic area, what has been most surprising to you, um, running for statewide office that maybe you didn't expect based on your previous experience? Well, even though you know that it's going to be different than running for a, uh, a local office, I really don't think anyone can be fully prepared until they've done it for the amount of time you have to spend on the road Hmm. and the amount of time you've got to research to find places to be on the road. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's not like somebody's just necessarily contacting you all the time. If you want to be an effective candidate, you've got to get in front of as many people as you can with your message. 
And that's where I said I made a decision. A lot of candidates will only go to Democrat or Republican clubs, say, in all 77 counties. Right. Well, I absolutely did that. But I wanted to hit a segment that doesn't necessarily think of themselves party-wise. Mm-hmm. And that was hitting a lot of civic groups, talking to Chamber of Commerce's, Lions, Kiwanis, those kinds. Uh, because a lot of times those are people that are politically active by voting, but they're not necessarily, a lot of them are more midstream, will necessarily vote for different people on the ticket, but they're interested in what's going on in the state. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting, and I just honestly have thoroughly enjoyed it. I, full disclosure, did not grow up in Oklahoma. I moved here at 17, and I'm 55, so I've been here a long time. But I moved here to go to college, so there were a lot of communities that I had driven by on the interstate from uh, Winniewood to wherever, Perry, that I've never driven into. So it really has been nice. And no matter what anyone says, uh, there is no better place to live than Oklahoma. Good, friendly people everywhere you live, people that want to make our state a better place. And it's been really encouraging to visit with them. That's true. And I've, similar to you, I, I moved here when I was 18 to go to college. And when I was in college, I did roofing full time. And um and a lot of roofing sales. I didn't, I did some installation, but enough to know I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. And, right. and I, I was always the guy in the office, the kid that they made run the leads out in rural areas. And so I went to, uh, Prague and Perry and Ponca city and other cities that don't start with the letter P, but traveled around. And, um, <laughs> And it was great finding, you know, local restaurants and get, getting to the, you uh-huh. know, the people in those areas and just kind of um, getting to know the people of Oklahoma was a fun thing. And I will say Oklahoma fi- is a great place. It, it definitely is. I, Facebook reminded me earlier today that last year, a year ago today, was when we did, when Let's Fix This did a, a little um, kind of meetup thing out there in your district in Mustang um, at the library. Uh-huh. And uh, so I will... I saw the pictures on Facebook today, and I will thank you again for coming to that. It was a day kind of like this where it was cool, starting to get a little bit rainy, and turnout was not what I had hoped for, but you still came, and I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank you again because you and I have gotten to know each other, obviously, over the last few years because of Let's Fix This. And if anything has single-handedly changed getting people involved, it was these types of groups like what you and several others have done on getting normal citizens involved in advocating for what they want in state government, I think that was one of the impetuses that actually got the teachers involved. But those kinds of things, instead of just relying on the people that we send to 23rd and Lincoln in Oklahoma City, but instead getting people all across the state activated and involved, has been a great thing, and I appreciate what you've done with that. Well, thank you. I, I'm excited for the next year. I now that we finished up that marathon 17 months of session, I'm, I'm looking forward to 2019, yeah. and, and hopefully we've got some <laughs> some cooler heads will prevail up at 23rd and Lincoln. I agree. Um, Things are looking up. You know, right now we have surpluses coming in. The oil and gas economy is doing well. Uh, we have better compensated teachers back in the classroom this fall. I think that we are on an upswing in Oklahoma, but it's going to be important to keep going in the right direction and not take it for granted. I agree. I hope I hope we don't have another downturn. That always seems to be just when we right. catch our stride, something happens. Um, right. Well, uh, last question that I have written down here is, um, with the election coming up, certainly you're watching your race. Um, are there any other races that you were watching particularly closely, whether because they impact the uh, the labor commissioner's job or it's um, people that you were interested in just seeing how it what happens? 
I think, well, obviously you get pretty consumed with your own, but I would be lying if I say I wasn't truly uh, watching the governor's race because Mm. the governor is the captain of the ship. And, you know, we have two candidates with pretty different ideas. And obviously you never advocate for any candidates when you're on the same ballot with them because you (laughs) might offend somebody that might have been going to vote (laughs) for you. But I am seeing a lot of interest out there in the uh, in the Stitt Edmondson race, and I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think that um, they both have a real strong following, but there's still quite a few undecideds, and uh, I think that that will have a lot to do with the direction we take our state in. So I I would say my race and the governor's race are the ones I always have my ear to the ground on. Yeah, uh, I recruited somebody to run for my house seat. He's done real well, and. Brian Hill, he's a great young man. Looking forward to working with him at the Capitol. And he's got a, a fairly um, a consistent good race going on here. So probably those other two. Sure, sure. Sounds good. Yeah, I think my mom's assertion is that the governor, the governorship will be won by whomever gets the most support of teachers. Um, and so I've been and that's as someone who's not very political at all. Um, I thought that was a very interesting observation, and so I've been kind of listening to voters' comments through that lens, uh, particularly to the the Oakla Ed crowd and and kind of how they they're perceiving both of the candidates. I think there's, you know, there's probably some truth to that because people used to be elected on the backs of teachers, and then and then teacher turnout started to decline, and so we may see a resurgence right. there. I think you're right, and that's what it's going to be key. And I think you'll notice that's why both of them are really touting their education plan. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It's going to be an interesting 12 days. It is. It's funny. That's probably the piece of their of their platforms that differs pretty markedly. I mean, there's some other things that are certainly different, but that's one. Hearing them um, in debates uh, enough times, they both have been like, well, here's my plan and here's mine, and there's not a lot of overlap there. So Agreed. We'll, we'll see. All right. Well, uh, Leslie Osborne, thank you again for your time. Good luck out there on the campaign trail and uh, good luck on November 6th. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time too. Talk to you later. Okay, that wraps us up for this episode. As a reminder, coming up here on November 6th on Election Day that evening is the Election Night Show at the Tower Theater, 6 to 10 p.m. Great lineup of guests, free food, live music, election results. Scott and I will be there on stage. Results throughout the night. We have a number of, of other candidates there. I've heard that at least one of maybe both gubernatorial candidates are going to come by at some point during the evening. We may not be able to get them on stage, but they'll be there probably shaking hands and kissing babies and doing things that gubernatorial candidates do, as well as candidates for a number of other statewide offices, local races. It'll be a great event. We'll stream it online as well, but don't let that dissuade you. It's all ages. Just come. Tell your friends, bring them to this will be the election party and all election parties. So also have merch for sale. I'm gonna pick up one of our red Let's Texas t-shirts, one of our blue I voted t-shirts, I voted sticker on there, which we have more today. So we'll have those, we'll have those, some stickers, koozies, uh, all kinds of good stuff.
Stay tuned for that and have a great week.